0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Coleman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Good morning, church. Good morning. So if you had joined us in the last few weeks, we've had these two trees, one's missing today, I'll explain why, uh, up front here as kind of an example of being connected to God. So we have this tree that looks live-ish, it's green at least, but it's fake and it can never produce fruit. Um, I think Michael, our production leaders, was super happy to get rid of it because it reminds me of like the 1990s, all stages that church had. I remember as a kid going through those and shaking them and there's a dust with this fly everywhere. Um, so, pretty soon we'll boot that out. Uh, but there was this tree over here that was this live fruit tree, it the one that could possibly produce fruit. And it, it kind of became Corbin's little pet. Uh, it reminded me of Charlie Brown and his little Christmas tree. He loves this thing. And so he spent this last week taking it out of here and putting it to a place where it could actually grow. That hopefully in the springtime comes around, that its leaves will start coming back. Because it has the right nutrients, the right environment, it has sunlight, things that can actually help it grow. In our life, we need the same things. Put us into a place that is dark, not good for our soul. We will wither away. Ultimately, we will not produce the fruit that we were meant to produce in our lives. We won't live like this abundant life because we're in the wrong environment. So, this morning, we're going to look at what you might have heard before as like spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, spiritual habits. Because these things have been practiced for a long time. Some of them since the beginning of creation. Now, these are the things in our lives that can put us to the right place, the right time of be able to like, produce something in us. And it's not necessarily about the dis- discipline itself. It's what it does in our lives and puts us to a place where God can change us. But it takes discipline to be able to do that. It takes the doing of something. And so as I was given this chance to, to preach this morning, I was actually going between two different messages. One I felt was looking at scripture, theological nuance, much more my niche, like something i am much more rather talk about. And this other one that God said here was like, or that I was thinking about doing, was much more these spiritual disciplines. And I'm like, um, I'm going to experience a lot of conviction as I look at how to preach this thing. I really don't want to. And guess what? I get to do the one that's convict- convicting. So I hope you know from... Being up here doesn't mean I have these figured out. I do not have these all figured out. Like, I have things in my life where God reveals to me the things that I need to change. And so, even as I got ready for this, like the conviction part of it, like, hey, Alex, I've been talking to you about this area of your life. Remind you again, here, this is an area you need to change. There is a difference between conviction and shame, there's a huge difference between the two. Shame says, we are not enough, we're not good, we're failures, there's something wrong with us. That we have these moments in our life where maybe we have done wrong or failed or something has happened, and now they become the identity of who we are. And they say, we will never amount to anything more than that. That's speaking of shame. Conviction is the idea that the God of the universe, the God of creation, the all-powerful God looks at you and says, hey, I see potential in you. That there's something good I want to pull out. And you might be doing this thing or not doing this thing that would actually bring something good to your life. Like, I see an abundant future for you. doesn't mean this will be easy. doesn't mean that all of our stuff is going to go and our difficulties are just going to go away. But God calls us to do something different in our lives so that we do have a different life. And so as I talk about these spiritual disciplines, I really hope that you don't get this idea of like, shame. I don't want you to do that. I don't want that to be part of your self-talk this morning. I think we've all tried to do things in our life of trying to make better habits, read the Bible more, pray more, and we maybe have not succeeded in those areas. My job this morning is not to bring up where you've maybe you have not done well in but that God can speak in your life what's going on with you right now. that something might happen differently. I like this passage out of Matthew 11, 20 through 30. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sometimes one thing that religion can do sometimes is add burdens to our life. You have to do more, give more, be better at this. You're not as good as you probably should be unless you look like this person and do more things. With us following Christ, our yoke should be easy and our burden should be light. The things that we add to our life should restore our soul. It's not just about doing more and more and more. It's about us putting ourselves in a place where God can help change us so that our soul is restored. Just living life itself, we create habits. We create patterns. Patterns and habits that we never mean to. There's this passage of Isaiah that reads this. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. It's this imagery of, if you think of like an ocean, as the waves come in and it comes in, and the dirt, the mire is brought up, the waters get murky. We can have habits in our life that create our patterns in our life that we don't intend to do. But if we don't, are intentional in changing our life, our waves just keep coming, and it just keeps coming, and just keeps coming that we have to create a new pattern, that we have to create a new rhythm of our life so it's just not the same monotony over and over again. if I said something like, would you like to live a life that is full of despair, anger, impatient? It's not the life that we want to live. But sometimes like, we try the things in our life, our habits, we keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And where God says, hey, maybe I have something better for you. Something they might cause, maybe be a little bit of work, a little difficulty, because you have to change these old habits, these old patterns. But there can be something new and something good for you. There's a Psalm 23. My mom must have read this to me like a thousand times growing up. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That whatever God does in your life is moving towards this idea that he leads you. Maybe some of you need a little bit more of a nudge, a little bit of a kick. But he leads you towards quiet waters to be able to restore your soul. We don't really just fall into like being better people. It's like, oh, I accidentally became this amazing person. Like That's not how usually it works. But because of how we choose to live our lives and choices that we make we move our direction of our lives for something that is better. Dalius Willard says this, I like this quote from him. says, discipline, strictly speaking, is activity carried on to prepare us indirectly for some activity other than itself. We do not practice the piano to practice the piano well, but to play it well. That We don't practice the piano to get good at practicing the piano. If you need a sports analogy, I don't like sports analogies, but I'll do it because some of you need it. Like you go to baseball practice, not to get better at our batting practice, not to get better at batting practice. You do batting practice in order so when you go to a game, you can be better. These spiritual disciplines in our life, these habits that we create, is not to get better at the habit itself. Idea is like we don't pray more or read the Bible more or fast more in order to get good at those things. Because that's not the end goal in mind. You don't need to become a master at fasting Who cares? But doing something like the spiritual discipline of fasting puts us at a place, it plants us, it nourishes us, it connects us with the Father so that we can produce fruit. I think sometimes we look at the idea of doing some of these practices and it becomes this monotony and it's like, okay, it's going to be something that I've been told I have to do I think it's just make sure that we put us at the right place of why we do these things. That why we choose to have these spiritual habits, these spiritual disciplines in our life. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to start off with Sabbath. Because I think Sabbath, the spiritual practice of Sabbath, sets us up well. Each of these can be its own message. You probably can talk about each of these for quite a long time. So I'm just going to kind of go over them a little more quickly but hopefully carry the same line of thread through all of them. Because all these spiritual practices, what they do, they do a couple things. For one, it causes us to pause, it causes us to stop, and it causes us to rest. If I asked you in your life right now, like, how you're doing, or how was your week, a lot of you answered the idea of busy. I actually did this morning, and I kicked myself. I'm like, oh. like I've, been, I've been trying not to say that as part of my vocabulary. Busy. We're busy. We always have so much going on. And it can be true. But if also we say, hey, can I look at your screen time on your phone? Somebody would be like, heck no. Like, I don't want to see how much time I spend on my phone. Because we do a life that is busy, but it's also busy with distraction. It's busy with trying to numb ourselves some ways. Busy with not thinking about things. I think about the idea of sometimes like anxiety. Right now, anxiety in our culture is huge. Um, Part of my job outside the church is I do counseling. I do counseling with kids. Um, And anxiety has become something that is kind of a a, a large issue in our culture. So sometimes the idea of we have anxiety and patterns are created... Um, there's maybe a way of looking at it of like, sometimes our anxiety leads us to procrastination, our anxiety leads us to uh, perfectionism. <clears throat> I lean towards procrastination. Uh, Jolene, I worked with here. She bought me socks that say procrastinator on them because uh, I'm so good at it. But sometimes I have like this stress in my life or this worry in my life about something that might be in the future. And, like, if I can just put it off, if I can just not think about it, that it will kind of just like take care of itself, it doesn't happen. But I have this pattern I've created, that that's how I naturally start to react. When stress happens, I'm like, okay, if I just don't think about it, it will go away, or I'll take care of it at a later date. But I notice how it does change me, like I'm not as loving, I'm not as patient with my kids. I let other things that probably shouldn't bother me start to bother me because I keep putting stuff off because I let anxiety ruin my life. Perfectionism is another way that sometimes people deal with anxiety. If I can just control every aspect of my life, everything will be good. I will feel like things will be fine. But it's just becoming trying to be more of controlling and more taking care of life and realizing that you actually don't have control of it. And the more that you feel like your future is slipping away and how you see it or wanting to get to go, you grab onto it more. But it's a pattern in your life that you've created. It's how anxiety showed up. This is how I've chosen to deal with it. So when we look at something like Sabbath, we look at the idea of that we have like seven days a week where we could be keeping the same thing over and over and over and over again. Like the waves toss. But God calls us to something different. And he started that in the very beginning. Uh, we can read out of Exodus, because I think it's a good spot with when it comes to Ten Commandments. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You are your son, are your daughter, are your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so there's different ways of looking at Sabbath. Some people practice, like, the whole day. So some, like, Friday night to Saturday night, from sundown to sundown, they take that time, that's a, their Sabbath. It could be on Sunday or another day of the week. I don't think it really matters. But I like the idea of stepping back, and like, what is the purpose of Sabbath in our life? Because in the very beginning of creation, that's what God did. He worked, he created, and then he stopped. I believe the idea that we're made in the image of God, and one of those images that we get out of creation, which I think is good for us, is that we produce, that we create, that we make something. Because Sabbath itself is not about being lazy. It's not about just, like, I don't want to work, I don't want to do anything. Because if we're going to be made in the image of God, we're actually going to produce. We're actually going to work. But we also know when to stop. Because our identity can't be with what we produce and what we work. Like if your boss cares about you because of what you can produce, and so when you stop producing, he stops caring about you, like there's something wrong about that. There's something not good about that. But even yourself, if you look at the idea of like maybe those that are in college or doing schoolwork... Are you just your schoolwork? You can't become that way. You can't just, like, all I do is work in schoolwork. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. But Sabbath, this idea, the word, it actually means to stop. I'm going to stop for a little bit so my life can be aligned to my Father. Because we need to stop creating, because we keep creating It's kind of like cells in the body. The cells keep creating, it's cancer. They have to know when to stop creating. We as a people have to know when to stop creating. Because our lives get so busy, and so out of control, that it destroys our soul. And God always keeps calling us back to Genesis 1 and 2, back before the fall. He calls us back to a time where we could walk with him and be with him. So, whatever it looks like for you to choose, like I read books about Sabbath, books about how different people do Sabbath. But it's supposed to be this time, if you even do a part of a day of where you can just enjoy life. Pick something that you like to do. Something that's like, oh, this restores my soul. Some of it for you maybe is taking a nap. Just sleep a little bit. Some of you might be cooking. You might be going for a hike. Might be getting out, but something that's different than your normal monotonous day. But it actually takes work to do Sabbath. Like there's a, a guy I write uh, in your notes. There's some resources, some books. So like in unhurried life, like one of the things he talks about is he prepares some like meals ahead of time, so that he doesn't have to cook during Sabbath. He doesn't have to do the work part of it. Be the idea of like, hey, I'm gonna go take a day and go camping. Maybe do the work part of getting everything ready the day before. So they can actually enjoy that day more. So somebody takes work to prepare for yourself to actually enjoy the Sabbath, enjoy some rest. For like maybe for those like college students here. Like Sunday is your day of rest, but you put off doing all your homework until tonight because it's due tomorrow. How do you have rest? In the midst of always thinking about like, oh, I gotta get home and do this. I gotta leave and take care of this thing. I can't believe, and then it's like seven. Well, probably like more like 10 o'clock at night, and you start then, finally, because that's what I did. So I hope I'm not alone in that. But can you prepare yourself to, like, okay, I'm actually going to enjoy a day. I'm going to care about myself enough because God cares about me to prepare myself to enjoy life and just rest in his presence. The next thing I want to look at is prayer and reading your Bible. I think if you've been in a church long enough, people say, how do you like, work on your Christian life? How do you become a better follower of Christ? It's like, pray and read the Bible. It's the go-to pieces. I feel like part of the problem that has arisen sometimes, the idea of, like, yes, I know I need to do these things, and I've tried. Like, I have put myself on a reading plan where I will read the five chapters a day for the whole year, so I can read the whole Bible in a year, and I failed. There's an interesting study that goes on like with... Uh, New Year's resolutions. That people set these goals that are almost unachievable and they fail. And they actually set this pattern in their life of where I, if I'm going to set a goal, I'm actually going to fail. That's what their mind goes. So anytime, like, oh, I'm going to set a goal, their mind goes, like, no, you're not. You're actually not going to do it. So I believe in the idea of, like, trying to figure out something in your life that can be achievable. I like to look at it as in, like, my just putting small steps in the right direction in my life. This is who I want to become. I don't need to become that person tomorrow. But I can take one little step forward. So when it comes to praying, it doesn't be like I need to pray for five hours a day. Like uh, I was reading about like Martin Luther, like he started his day praying for three hours. Who has a time to pray for three hours? Crazy. But maybe it's just praying for one minute. Maybe it's just before I... Open the door of my house and leave, I just stop for a moment and pray. I like Kierkegaard. Uh, He's a philosopher. He said this, kind of observed a man. A man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking, but it became more and more quiet until the end he realized that prayer is listening. It's not us about, like, oh, I need a list of stuff to pray for, I need to pray for all stuff going on in our world, and all stuff. Like I know some of you aren't necessarily in prayers. Like this is who you are. You pray for the things, and I appreciate that you're my, are in our lives. But maybe it's just starting off of what maybe my life needs to be more a life of prayer. Maybe it's just I just need to take thirty seconds and say, God, would you please speak to me? I'll sit here and just listen for thirty seconds. It's all that my mind lets me to do before it gets distracted. Maybe from there I can change. Like there's a Dan Rathers. He was a reporter. Some of you are young and don't know who he is. Uh, But he interviewed Mother Teresa. And he asked Mother Teresa, so what do you ask God for? And she goes, I listen. He pauses for a moment. So what does God tell you? And she goes, he listens. (laughs) And then she said, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. I feel like the idea of a habit of prayer in our lives is not for us to keep praying more and more and more, but puts us in a place to listen and hear from God. So what set that that up in the first place? It's not that you need to pray for more things in your life or the people around you. Just make some time. Pause for a moment. There's a Peter Sagarsgo, he's also in your notes there. Um, He wrote emotionally spiritual health spiritual health whatever it is. You can read it. Uh, that he has this idea of daily office. It's kind of a weird way of saying it. But it's the idea of throughout the day that you set aside some time to stop and be quiet, to pray and to reflect on Scripture. And the idea is like two to three times throughout your day. You set that into your schedule to be able to do those things. And it's like five minutes long. Like it's not a ton of time. But we can keep going in our day, can't we? You get started, and by the time like, those have kids, you finally get the kids to bed, you're like, just worn out. like Your mind can't do anything else. But sometimes, maybe throughout our day, we just have to learn how to pause, put things into the right perspective. That we set a little time right before we hit lunch, or right before we go do something else that we say, hey, Lord, please enter my life right now. So reading scripture is another one. I like this passage out of Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these, these things. Scripture reading doesn't have to read five chapters a day. I think there's a place to learn how to study Scripture. But sometimes it might be just a verse that we read in the morning, that we meditate on through the day. Let that truth enter our life and we keep thinking about it. It's a good step in the right direction, allowing Scripture to enter our lives. Because what I'd rather have you do, instead of reading five chapters tomorrow, I'd rather have you read one verse every day for the whole year. Because after the whole year, you have read more scripture. And you have to set a habit in your life to continue that practice going forward. And then as maybe the Lord convicts you, or whatever that might look like, you add more to it. And you study the scripture a little bit more. But every day you're adding some truth to the word in your life. I also say, being around people who love scripture, like Corbin loves the word of God, like, it's, it's good to be around him. Getting yourself around people, maybe a group of people of where you do read scripture together, a group of guys that we did a kind of a Bible reading plan together. It was nice because when I didn't always feel like reading, I read it because I knew I was going to meet with them. Like, sometimes we lost an idea of, like, I need to make sure I feel like I need to do these things. Our feelings don't always line up with the action of our life that we need. I think it's good to listen to your feelings and where you're at. But also the idea of, like, what type of person do I want to be? Even though I feel at this thing at the moment, I can still choose an action that aligns up with the person that I know I want to be, I know that God wants me to be. Another one is solitude. Like, Who dislikes being alone in a quiet house all by yourself? Like, some people cannot stand. They have to have the TV on if you like little waves. Like, to have music on, a TV on, or something. Like, loneliness is a difficult aspect of our lives. There's this interesting look at, like, learning how to be good alone actually deals with loneliness. The feeling of loneliness. Learning to be okay with being by yourself Because I think if we're going to model ourselves after Christ, Christ did the same thing. So Matthew 4.23, Jesus. this is Jesus. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountains by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. I was seeing this idea that Jesus, he was only on this earth for a short period of time, certainly he had spent all this time with people, teaching and preaching and telling people how they should live their life, because it's the only time that he's on this earth to do those things it's almost times when the crowds got too big he said things to make him disperse like he had not been a very good celebrity pastor like it wasn't more conferences bigger and bigger but jesus himself even knew that he had to leave the crowds to be by himself i think there's an unhealthy piece of our lives when we can't be alone a lot of times what we'll happen to do is, if we have a hard time being alone ourselves, we go to crowds of people, and guess what we do? We bring the unhealthiness with us. You probably can look at people in your life like, oh, I just wish they would not show up. Because there's something there that just drains life out of me. For ourselves, if we look at ourselves, sometimes that we need to learn the practice of being alone. What can it look like? Can it can look like just to go for a walk for a few minutes. I know those with kids, it's really hard to find solitude. And it is a season of your life. But work with your spouse or someone else, maybe, to have, like, hey, I just need five minutes just to be alone with God. For some reason, the idea of, like, you need to get away in the outdoors, go on, like, a mountaintop, and just be quiet. But turn your phone off. You don't need to listen to a podcast at the time. You don't need to listen to worship music. He just to be alone with your own thoughts. Scary. He likes to be alone with your own thoughts. But it's learning to be that's okay. Because what does it bring us back to? It brings us back to a place of pausing and resting and stopping. It brings us back to a place of restoring our soul. Fasting is another spiritual discipline. I think someone gets a bad rap. Um, like, I'll read a passage out of Matthew 6, 16. And when you fast, do not look glumly like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their face, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Sometimes fasting moves into like, this religiosity piece of, of it. But fasting as a spiritual discipline can have profound implications in our life. And I think within, sometimes within we hear ideas like, oh, I need to fast... Uh, social media, or I need to fast TV, or I need to fast these other aspects. I think those are also healthy, and those are also good. But there's something about a food fast that's important. Uh, I might look like I fast a lot. I don't. I'm just skinny. Um, the idea of what I do as this is... So I can skip, like, breakfast and lunch and have no problem. But when I choose to fast, somehow what like normally is okay for me is, like, I am starving. I don't get it. The other thing that happens to me, too, is like, people randomly bring food around. Last time I chose to fast, I was here at the office, and two guys tried to do a baking competition and brought in like freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. I'm like, why on the day that I choose to fast? I haven't fasted like, all year, on th- but on this day, this is what happens. I'm probably just really more aware of it. But we do become more aware of it. I think part of fasting, which is really important, is it puts our desires in the right order like, God created our bodies. Like, I don't want to look down at our bodies and say that we need to beat them. There's this talk in scripture where, yes, our flesh can lead us away from God. Our flesh can cause destruction in our life if we put our desires out of control. I think one of the beauties about fasting is the idea that you can put your life in control. Uh, in the resources, Spiritual um, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, he walks you through what fasting looks like. This, the Gospels didn't talk about this is how you should fast, and if you're a dizzy after so many days, this is what you should do. It's because fasting was normal. Like in the early church, they fasted two, I think, two days out of the week. Like fasting was just part of their life. It is definitely not part of our life now. I think if you struggle with like, sexual immorality of some sort, sexual addiction, fasting is a good place in your life to start. Because it teaches yourself that I can say no to my desire. You can say no to my physical wants. Sometimes I personally fast when I'm trying to debate what God wants me to do next in this situation. Because I'm not sure if it's me saying this or if it's God saying this that I want myself, my whole body of all of I am to align myself with what God wants. So a good way of fasting could be started off with the idea of just fasting breakfast. To wake up and just not to eat breakfast. And this is not for like dieting. I think there's intermittent fasting is a huge thing right now. It has good physical health benefits. I'm not a nutritionist, so listen to your doctor. Don't listen to me um, about fasting, about dieting. But in our, but the idea of maybe just taking one meal and start there. And say, like, okay, every time I feel the pains of hunger, I'm going to pray, I'm going to seek the Lord, I'm going to remember our God. Because if life becomes all about indulgence, all about what I want, what I need, I think even business falls in there of trying to fulfill something within myself, to make myself feel better, that actually destroys our soul. Like I said before, these all lead us back to the idea of that God cares enough about you to restore your soul. That's how the fruits of the Spirit come out, this idea of peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Sometimes I think when we look at these fruits of the Spirit, it is all about us. The first readers of the scripture didn't have an eye-centered mindset. That's just who we are, is fine. We're Westerners, and we do have this eye-centered mindset. But these fruits of the Spirit, when they do come out and play out in our lives, they're meant to see in the culture and the people around us. Patience is not for, just for patience for my own self, but it's patience for those around me. So for me, I can be a better husband or a better dad. These fruits can show up in my life. Kindness is not kindness for me, but kindness for those Around me, for those that aren't being kind to me, is that like I at a place in my life where I can be okay with being kind back. That hatred, our disgust, our tension, our uli's—they are not the things that rule us. But it's doing these spiritual disciplines that bring us back to our own place. Worship is another one, and I look at worship in kind of two different ways. Uh, one is common worship, which is the gathering of us together. Sunday morning, guess what? Good job. for discipline, you did it this morning. We had to go. But it's us coming together to worship our law our, our Lord together. I think that's one of the hardest things coming out of like COVID that I've seen is people removing cells from other Christians. Like there's something special about us gathering together as a people. And we get to look out for each other. I love the idea that we have people right now holding babies in our nursery so that moms and dads have had this infant that needs them at all times 24 hours a day get a moment to spend with God. Like, if you want to hold a baby, there's room for you to hold a baby. I'm at a stage of my life where I love to hold babies and I love to give them back to their parents. It's like, oh, you're so beautiful and you're crying now, so here you go, parent. (laughs) I can do it for an hour. You can do it for an hour. But it gives the opportunity for a mom and a dad, to be able just to say, okay, I can have a place of quiet for a moment and reflect on my life so I can be a better parent the rest of the week. There's this anticipation that we need with worship, that when we come here that God will show up. It's not that this place is like, special, like the carpet or the walls. Nothing of that is special. The special thing is when a group of people who love and follow Christ gather together with the idea that God will show up that the Holy Spirit will come and impact our lives. That we can be restored in order to live out the rest of the week at a place of restoration. A place of rest, a place of knowing that God cares about us so we can go off and carry that to the other people around us. Like, we need that common worship. But also, worship does show up in areas of our own life where we set aside a time. It could be playing worship music as you're driving. It could be this... As you're cooking, you're playing worship music. It could be just taking a moment and remembering a song that was sung and singing it. It could be reading through like a psalm like Carissa did this morning. I think one of the outcomes of worship that's important is that it lines our life for us to have more gratitude and more thanksgiving. That we acknowledge that we have someone greater than ourselves. Someone like Carissa said that would be worthy to be worshiped that we place ourselves in the right place in our lives. And what comes out of that is a thanksgiving. Because a lot of times what busyness does, is says that we need more and more and more and more to fulfill us more and more, more distraction, more ways to cope. But worship us as a place of like, okay, God, in the midst of all the stuff going in my life, I can worship you. Whatever is going on within my day or within my family or the hardships I'm going through or the struggles that I have, I can stop for a moment and I can worship you. you're a God that shows up. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, Have a great week.